the Bards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to Orwellian Nation. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction. Righteousness. Ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher. Soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And today is Friday, January 20th in the year 2023. Congratulations. You just made it through another week of insanity. And part of the clown world that's still going on didn't get to you, hopefully never, but definitely not yet. So that's good. Tonight we're going to dig into 1984. I thought that was appropriate since tonight's episode is 1,984. We're getting pretty close to that 2,000th episode. Pretty cool, isn't it? Anyway, our 1,984th episode seems seems to be appropriately dedicated to George Orwell's 1984. We're going to dig into that and take a look at that from a different perspective, which is the modern-day perspective, but nonetheless, enough history to give you some context. So with that in mind, keep in mind that the whole principle of 1984 is to control you, break you, turn you into a subject slave vassal of the Big Brother empire. So make sure you're well stocked up on food so you don't have to be subject to their draconian ways. Patriots, you can hide your head in the sand or you can face the future head on. Those are your two options. If you want to remain free and self-reliant, despite whatever happens in the world, you need to get yourself enough emergency food so you can survive the coming chaos in our society. You can fully expect food shortages if everything breaks down. And if you don't already have enough food on hand, you will regret it. So do yourself a favor and go to preparewithbards.com and save $200 on a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's largest preparedness company, and they're knocking $200 off the regular price of their three-month kit to help make it affordable for families who are feeling the pain of inflation right now. At this price, get one kit per person for your family. These kits are in stock, and they ship fast and free. Save $200 per kit when you go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Patriots, I've said it so many times, food security is the foundation of personal sovereignty. So head on over to preparewithbards.com and take advantage of this amazing offer. Do it today. So head on over to preparewithbards.com, great company, Patriot Supply. Awesome. Great part of this channel. Great part of what we need to do in this nation. You know, the best thing that could ever happen is like if we prep all this stuff and then nothing actually does need to happen that way. But instead, we're well stocked to stay away from this corporate nightmare that we're currently in. And there's these sort of corporatists that want to enslave you and turn you into the chattel where you shall eat the bugs. This is the whole objective. You shall eat the bugs. I hope you know that. I'm not eating any bugs. I'm just telling you that straight up, not happening. So let's start a little bit about a context of what Orwell is about. So the 1984 book, which was published 
it was also published as 1984. So it was written out as 1984 or as the words, the numbers 1984. Was a dystopian social science fiction, which is an interesting title, social science fiction, meaning it was about society and, and in the future. And a cautionary tale by English writer George Orwell. It was published on 8 June 1949 by Secker and Wahlberg as Orwell's ninth and final book completed in his lifetime. Thematically, it centers on the consequences of totalitarianism, mass surveillance, and repressive regimentation of people and behaviors within society. Orwell, a Democrat socialist, modeled the authoritarian state in the novel on Stalinist Russia and Nazi Germany. He could be doing it on the U.S. government today. Too bad he wasn't here. He'd be like, "Well, wow, look at this. You guys stole my playbook. More broadly, the novel examines the role of truth and facts within society and the ways in which they can be manipulated. The story takes place in an imagined future in the year 1984 or maybe 2023. When much of the world is in the perpetual state of war, Great Britain, now known as Airstrip One, has become a province of the totalitarian superstate Oceana. Uh, by the way, Oceana was a actual corporate controlled entity out of the UN run by Jeffrey Epstein, just on it, we later learned, this was in later years, which is led by Big Brother, a dictatorial leader supported by an intense cult of personality manufactured by the party's thought police. Through the Ministry of Truth, a party engages in omnipresent government surveillance, historical neg neg uh, negationism, which is to constantly change the histories, and constant propaganda to persecute individuality and independent thinking. Very much like you're dealing with, with today, the entire model of social media and the way it is, has been working through the Trump era especially has been based on this book in particular. It is all about thought police and truth, ministries of truth, which corporations actually have set up ministries of truth. Vimeo has one. I already ran into them. They're crazy. But anyway, that's the corporate tech world models everything after 1984, and they, they marvel at it. They love the idea. These are some sick people that work in there, I'm telling you. So the first principle of controlling the people or of, of control is to influence and control the people. Let, take a listen to this. This is from a CIA whistleblower. To control the population, you have to control the people messaging the population. They're running blackmail operations where they're getting uh, very well-known government and private in industry uh, elite people in compromising uh, positions at the Playboy Mansion on Epstein's plane on Orgy Island, and they're photographing them. And after that, it's like Congressman so-and-so or CEO so-and-so. Uh, I wouldn't bring that up if I was you because we got photographs of you with a a 14-year-old girl on Ep Epstein's plane, for example, uh, and you talk about shutting somebody up permanently, that's how they do it. But there's more to it than that, and this is it, because what he just hit on there is important. Prior to even getting to the point of being able to blackmail these people, they have to find the types of people that would be so morally debased as to find it attractive and compelling to be on the plane to Jeffrey Epstein's island or be at the Playboy Mansion where they would be willing to have sex with a 14-year-old girl or a 14-year-old boy. So we're already dealing with something more debasing, and that is that part of this program is then to identify 
the entire concept of controlling society, again, this is coming out of 1984, is what they're calling this historical negationism, the propaganda, and the constant omnipresent government uh, surveillance. So as they do this, they're identifying the people that will be most acute or attuned to the idea of being the freaks that will be able to take advantage of their dark desires. That means you have to strip away God. That means you have to strip away any sort of moral foundation, and you have to raise up something known in in the Orwellian book as the super state, where the state takes care of all things. Now, as I talk this through, you should be able to see all of the reflections of what's happening today. There shouldn't be any difference, because we are literally seeing the rise of the super state, the totalitarian super state, its promises to take care of people. You've already seen how far down this hole we've fallen because of the people's willingness to roll up their sleeves and take an injection. And I don't care if the injection had nothing in it or not. The fact that they were willing to do it, roll up their sleeves and do this, was meaning they were turning their will, their free will, over to the superstate. The entire idea of being a defiant patriot was, for the most part, historically negated. And that's the, that's the whole principle of this of the Truth Commission, where they literally go through a ministry of truth in the book of 1984, where they're constantly rewriting history almost in real time. And they're debasing the old, old idea of, of breaking people down. Now, 1984 has become a classic literary example of political and dystopian fiction. This is right out of a Wikipedia, a good one too, by the way. It is also po- uh, popularized to the term Orwellian, as an objective, with many terms used in the novel entering common usage, including Big Brother, Doublethink, and Doublethink for you is, is a process of indoctrination in which subjects are expected to simultaneously accept two conflicting beliefs as truth, often at odds with one another's own memory or sense of reality. Doublethink is related to, but differs from hypocrisy. Doublethink is the foundation of of. Common Core, by the way, and Doublethink is also the the basis of MK Ultra. There's also the term Thought Police that's used here. Thought Police is our secret police of the super state of Oceania who discover and punish thought crimes, personal and political thoughts unapproved by Ingsoc's regime. That's the in the book, the think pool the the think pole use criminal psychology. <clears throat> so you heard. Um, Pompeo, under Trump, talk about being able to prosecute future crimes. That's a thought crime. And we've already seen people, we are starting to see people being challenged for what they think in terms of cr- criminality, and that's, that is starting to come into play. Thought crime is another one. Is a word coined by George Orwell in 1945, dystopian novel. It describes a person's politically unorthodox thoughts, such as beliefs and doubts that contradict the tenets of the Ingsoc regime, which was the leadership, which would be like the U.S. government today. Anytime you think contrary to them, they want to put you in jail. Newspeak is the fictional language of Oceana. Um, In the novel, the party created Newspeak to meet the ideological requirements of the Ingsoc Ingsoc in, in Oceana. It's a controlled language, which is exactly what our media has become. That's what news speak is. This is the re- rhetoric of CNN, for example. 
And then the one of the more famous ones is, as we know here, is two plus two equals five. And it's the impossible statement that people ultimately have to accept or do accept. It's the illogic of logic. It's the cognitive dissonance that so much overwhelming propaganda forces people to actually miss the real truth. They'll literally acknowledge that some, some truth is not true because that it's much easier to do that than try to live with contradicting the state. So this is, this is the world of the 1984 book that has become very visceral and real to us. Now, part of this is there has to be a evil villain, so to speak, who, who wants to take over the world, but it's not fictional in our world. This real, take a listen to this. In looking down the 2010 Bohemian Club members list, what's remarkable is the number of them that are among the top 200 richest men in the world. So Alex Jones actually sneaks into Bohemian Grove with a video camera and he shoots the footage of what he saw. I uh, knew enough about some of the club's names inside to tell them I was part of the Hillbillies, which is the Texas delegation, uh, the, the Bushes and their friends. It was so creepy. Uh, I had snuck in, I'd seen the 40-foot stone owl. I'd seen the black altar in front of it uh, during the day. Then as it got dark, to watch over a thousand prominent uh, people march down the little pond in front of this idol and then to see the ritual unfold from there. I was thinking one thing, get the footage and get out of here. And it was William Howard Taft, uh, the president who came here to the Bohemian Grove, uh, who of course was the uh, uh, high level Skull and Bones member, who first uh, began to talk about a world government, a League of Nations, which was then picked up a few years later by Woodrow Wilson. And so uh, this whole system is their plan for a world government, and it is based on a Germanic death cult. And that's the evil that we're currently dealing with. It's interesting, He Jones brings up Germanic death cult, and now we're pretty much, we've geographically located it to Ukraine, which is... Germanic death cult, and it's the Kazarian Mafia, which also became known as the Red Jews, which has all the ties even down to who the leadership in Israel is today. Quite interesting. These people have no good intended for humanity. They see humanity as chattel, and they see humanity as lesser, and as a group of people that need to provide them for some some service, whether it's labor or whether it's your flesh, your organs, whatever that is. And in the end of the day, then you are simply discarded and away you go. The entire structure that we're dealing with in the 1984 model is to keep people constantly busy with nonsense stuff. There, and there always has to be a constant fear of war. This is very important. Constantly churning and churning and churning so that there's never a safe place or ever a sense of safety in the world. That wears people down. And then what you have to continue to do is to control your leadership to make sure that your leadership doesn't step out of line. Now, part of that means you have to own, somehow you have to control D.C. This is an interesting perspective on D.C., kind of give you an idea of some of the puppet masters behind that. And I looked at it, it says China Studies Professor, and I said, Aha, you're PLA, People's Liberation Army, aren't you? And she looked at me and she lowered her head. And she said, yes, and shook her head. And I said, okay, did I say anything wrong? I mean, I told her how you're waging unrestricted warfare. She said, 
no, you didn't say anything wrong. I said, do I have to look over my shoulder? Are you going to whack me? You know, what, what's going on? She said, oh, no, nobody will believe you. And I said, why? Why won't they believe me? She said, we own half this town. And so I looked at her and said, who owns the other half? And she said, the Saudis. Of course, they've infiltrated Congress. They've infiltrated the White House. You see it in the Hunter Biden laptop. This, this is a corruption that goes really deep. Very deep. In fact, when you control the Washington, D.C. and the White House, what you're controlling is the corporate state that is managing the people of the, of the cattle lands of America. We're just the cattle. And so the corporate state, which was hijacked back in the act of 1871 through the loans that were given by the Bank of London following the Civil War of 1865, that put us in debt. We weren't able to pay the debt, the recall, the reset of that money, because we came out of the Civil War with no money. We had to pay things. We took a loan. Ultimately, that came from the Vatican through the Bank of London. And part of the compromise on that was that our Constitution was quietly and secretly changed and in so changing our constitution, we became serfs. We didn't become free men anymore. And of course, what follows from that later is in the next few years is the Federal Reserve, and then we get the birth certificate system. Everybody, we become enslaved as a population. Didn't know we were, but we were enslaved. And we were enslaved because of our government, which turned on us all in terms of needing to pay some bills with a war that was created not by our hand, but was likely stirred, as the indications are, by the Jesuits that were waging war from us from the very day we begin a revolution. So the problem is that the Americans were very, were, were very, very defiant and independent thinkers. They were strong in their faith in Jesus and God. They were independent and defiant. They weren't compliant and they were well-armed. That's a very difficult thing for these powers to be in the world. And so you have to spend time breaking them down little by little. And that was done over a period of time with increased levels of dependency on or burdens put on people's back. And as the government was given more power and took more power, I should say, and people weren't pushing back, it wasn't like the days of the revolution. You consider this, this perspective that we have that somehow of our revolutionary period, people were not well educated. If you've ever read the Federalist Papers, you know how they are written. They are not written in easy English, and yet people were reading them. When John Jay, the first Supreme Court justice, decided was sent over to negotiate the trade treaty with England, and he came back, and he had traded, he had given away our upper hand and given better trade rights to England, which was the entire principle of the war in part was to, that we were being taken advantage of as colonies. And he basically handed back the same position economically. We gave England the same position that they were going to be superior in trade. Once again, he wrote that at one point he could ride from Philadelphia to New York on his horse at night and have no problem seeing because of the light of the number of effigies of him that were being burned of people that were so pissed off. The colonies were awake. They were vibrant. They were very alert to what was going on in the world. And this is well before, obviously, any sort of mass communication of any form. Mass communication, at the best, was taken in forms of free presses and broadsheets that were being pu published on like town square malls and or halls and walls. And so people were out reading. But that's a dangerous population for world control. And these people had decided long ago that they needed to dominate the world. And we were an obstacle. 
So they've gone through the process over the years as they've worked to systematically break it down. Now, I'm just telling you what's in writings, so you can go back and research what I'm going to say next, but let me just give you a point. In the writings, which even show up in the writings of Lincoln in referencing the the Niagara Falls, the discussions of a race of giants was common tongue in the 1800s. That has all been smothered by the, the excavations of the, of the Smithsonian. They were, they've taken those findings, they bury them deep in or they destroy them altogether. Probably turn a bunch of them into dinosaurs so, that you, make, so you start to believe in the dinosaur myth. Giants were real. And, it was a, and they've referenced them in the common writings even of Lincoln. But all of this became, there was too much awareness that was going on. You have to ask yourself things like the World Fair in Chicago. How did they build such a structure? And I covered that in one of the shows. How did they build such a structure so quickly and then suddenly it all burned down and got bulldozed under the ground? Incredible. Quite amazing, actually. It all suddenly burned down. So the whole idea is that they were likely, they were stealing technologies and they were smothering the evidence of the cultures of the past and in the process, they're keeping people stressed through economics and through wars. So we had the Civil War, then we head into, we had the War of 1812, we have the Civil War, we're barely recovering with that, we have the American Indian War, and then we have the, the World War I, World War II, we have the Korean War, the Vietnam War, and then we have these little brush fire wars in the, in, in the early part of this, or the late part of the 20th century, which would be Grenada and Panama. And then we get the mother of all wars. We start to get back into Iraq, and then we get to Iraq too, and then we get into Afghanistan. So you can kind of end, oh, let us not forget Vietnam. That was a big squash in the middle, I forgot. Our country has been under a state of constant war, which is the model of 1984, a constant and perpetual threat. And as the wars have died down, terrorism has come back up because terrorism is the threat that we all have to be aware of because the boogeyman's around every corner. You're going to get blown up in the mall. You're going to get blown up in your car. You're going to have a suicide bomber walk into the school. And, of course, with all that, they've done all their MK Ultra programming to make sure they have the little agents of terror that they launch, and then they use their media to perpetuate even more lies to paint these ideas of these active shooter events, which keep people constantly in fear and willing to give up their guns because, oh, my goodness, I know that my gun might crawl out of my closet load itself, walk into the family room, jump up on the couch, pull the trigger three times and kill us all, and this is what I'm most afraid of. This is effective brainwashing. This has come from the principles of the ministry of truth, which we call the free press. Everything in their world is inverted. That is a textbook model of 1984. And the rumor has it that 1984 was actually a very real script that the world elites were working off of that Orwell used to write the book, and hence there's so much of the criticism of Orwellian's of Orwell's book, which was to discredit it as a pure fiction, which of course it is not. But these crazies are still very active. They are part of what's running our world world right now. Tony Blair was at the World Economic Forum, WEF, and he's got an idea that everybody now needs to be tracked and databased if whether you've had a vax or not. You need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple, there'll be multiple shots. So you've got to have, but for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for uh, a pandemic or for, um, for, for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. Everything about what they do, they're gonna talk about now in terms of medical or health or keeping people safe. 
because the brainwashing is very complete. That ties in directly to the thought police and the ministry of truth. That's right out of the book, right? And so with this, we are also seeing the historical negationism, which is the destruction of statues and the rewriting of history. We are founding fathers now, are racist, misogynist, slave owners, right? And our history, our country is not a proud country to be part of. And they've built all this guilt and craziness in people's minds, and they've done a very effective job of brainwashing these youth. We have a whole generation of idiots coming up that have never taken time to read the real histories of our nation. They've just taken time to digest with the Ministry of Truths, which are also the universities, have given them to believe. And so much of that comes from the fact that part of this program of a 1984 model in an Orwellian state is to keep things constantly churning and turning truth into fiction and fiction into truth, like putting menstrual products in boys' bathrooms. Um, Second, not all students who menstruate are female. Um, We need to make sure that all students have access to these products. Um, There are obviously less um, non-female menstruating students, and therefore their usage will be much lower. And that was actually um, calculated into the cost of this um, and how much we decided to fund it. And so we we do not expect that the non-female menstruating students will use um, these products as much as the the students using female bathrooms, but it's important to have them there. Um, And that brings me to just the social emotional reasons for that. Um, These students who are not female, who menstruate, um, face a greater stigma and barrier um, to asking for these products. And so providing them in an easily accessible place um, in all student bathrooms is particularly important for those students. Let me translate that. I I am not kidding. I had to literally listen to that more than once, which is hard enough as it is. But let me translate to what's actually happened right there in that statement, and which is quite amazing in this cultural Marxist attack that we're under. So what they have done is they have stated that if a child, a youth, declares themselves to be a man, then they are no longer a woman. So they become a, a man or a boy that now has to deal with female issues. And this is the new reality. This is how they invert reality, constantly churning it. And the great thing about the cultural Marxist movement is they just need to seed it. It's well enough embedded now that they just need to seed it with something new. And it takes off like wildfire because of social media. And to this point, I mean, it's something you have to be aware of. There's no possible way you can be pleased with the Republican Party because this same type of stupidity is now being incorporated and mainstreamed in the party. This is what they're doing. They are, they're literally moving into a place now where transgenderism and the whole LGBTQ movement is being brought into the Republican Party, which means these same type of twisted ideas are being mainstreamed in the party. That is just an extension of 1984. Because one of the things about 1984, which is very concerning when we look at the model right now, and I've said this so many times here in different forms, the Democrat Party is where everybody's pointing their finger But the real darkness sits within the Republican Party who are silent and in the background maneuvering the narratives so that the the conservative base of this nation ultimately ends up in the left's camp. So we are all pointing at the evil nemesis, which every, every successful totalitarian movement, like in the book in 1984, has to have somebody, an evil person that they're after, a, a nemesis, an enemy, a constant war. 
The, we don't have a constant war right now. We have a war, a single war. It's against the Democrat Party. It shouldn't be. It should be against both parties. It should be against our political class and our elite class, but it's not. It's against the Democrats. And so as they're doing this, as you're watching over here, looking at the Democrats, quietly they're pulling the migration of all this debased corruption of mentality, sexual perversion. They're pulling it into the Republican Party, which at one point was a solid party of conservative values, is not anymore. Remember, it was a Republican, it was a Republican movement in this nation that started this nation. They're now perverting that Republican movement to represent debased sexual habits. And they're doing it very, very subtly, too, in very slick ways. So one of the ways that this is happening is that they're taking social media influencers, they're giving them big contracts, and then they're pulling back these, they're controlling what they say by limiting their ability to express views against this sort of thing and then using their influence to moderate these sort of solid moral foundations. Mark Dice does a great job here, and there's a current kind of drama going on out here. Mark Dice does a great job of coming giving you an insight with one of the influencers that just lost his job or his position and how that all works together to create a very moderated voice that people call the conservative voice. Mark Dice, like myself, will not take a contract with any sort of influencer ever because I'm never going to allow them to dictate to me what I can say. Take a listen. This is what Stephen Crowder was alluding to, something that I've been talking about for years, something that he never mentioned before because he was in that inner circle conservative Inc. club. Glenn Beck was also at one of those dinners with Mark Zuckerberg. That's another fact that we know. And since we're on the topic, people should also know that Dave Rubin had a private meeting with YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki in 2019. He's conservative Inc.'s token gay guy, so you know they're supporting him so that he can keep making the Republican Party more progressive. He's a good friend of Steven Crowder's, by the way. And this is why I've always stayed independent, because I don't want some executive producer or CEO telling me not to cover something or not to criticize someone or not report on the Bilderberg Group meetings or Bohemian Grove or Operation Mockingbird or the Sun Valley Conference or telling me that I need to just speak in weak generalities and give lukewarm takes about the wolves in sheep's clothing in the conservative movement or the cultural Marxists destroying destroying our society. One of the points I agree with Crowder on in his video, which again, I think wildly misrepresents what actually happened between him and the Daily Wire and is just a desperate money grab now that he's unemployed, was this. They don't want a group of rebellious rabble-rousers who want to learn, fight like hell, and laugh together. You're of no value if you can't all be kept in line to some degree. I don't mean some master plan to eliminate you. Just subdue you a little bit. Just soften your edges a little bit. Just play ball a little more. That's a good point, Stephen. But to be specific, since I never became friends with any of the phonies in our movement and I don't have any dual loyalties, I think what you mean is anyone who signs a contract with the Daily Wire, the Blaze, Fox News, Turning Point USA, or PragerU won't be allowed to criticize anything Israel does to the Palestinians. That's anti-Semitic or how the anti-BDS laws violate the First Amendment. And they'll be told not to talk about anti-whiteism or black crime, especially using that term and won't be allowed to to denounce gay marriage with too strong of language or say that gay men adopting children or buying them from fertility clinics. You've heard me talk about that exact thing. That was part of what you, was going on in Ukraine too, by the way.
fertility clinics of women that were being held in captive, breeding children to be sold to primarily gay couples. Nice. But to his point exactly, Mark Dice is on point because once they get these influencers roped into contracts, opportunities to make money, they temper what they can say and temper them radically. So there are certain topics they can't go into, and then there's certain topics that they have to be limited to how much they can speak about. So what it tends to, well, this is the great part of influence, especially when you're doing dealing with the ministry of truth, is it, it just starts to clip off those critical edges that make the distinction between a solid basis in conservative values or Christian values, and everything starts to slowly become migrated towards some version of vanilla. And that's exactly what's been going on a lot. And this is what is very disturbing about anything in the Republican Party right now because it is exactly what he's saying is they are very, they're, they're moderating it radically by bringing in all of this outside influence. This is all by design, obviously. And the, the key here is, too, that we are they're using so many different levers in society to keep things under control. D.C. is a, is a cesspool of control. Now, this is a great piece by Tucker, and I want you to hear this. Um, and again, I've heard some comments about Tucker. I've made comments about Tucker. I'm not going to always be, in, I'm not in Tucker's camp, believe me. He used to wear the Kabbalah red string around his arm, and I don't know where he's at with that now. But in the sense of a solid historical perspective on how DC works and how the power of the people is a complete myth, and then you perpetuate lies to disparage a particular leader, this in particular leader is Nixon, to villainize him, even though most people don't realize he was the most popular president ever elected in the U.S. history. So take a listen to this. This is about four minutes. The states are taking children. Oops, it's the wrong one. Sorry about that. Let's do this. We'll do that one in a minute. This is Tucker Carlson. So if you want to understand, if you really want to understand how the American government actually works at the highest levels, and if you want to know why they don't teach history anymore, one thing you should know is that the most popular president in American history was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. Yet somehow, without a single vote being cast by a single American voter, Richard Nixon was kicked out of office and replaced by the only unelected president in American history. So we went from the most popular president to a president nobody voted for. Wait a minute, you may ask, why didn't I know that? Wasn't Richard Nixon a criminal? Wasn't he despised by all decent people? <laughs> no, he wasn't. In fact, if any president could claim to be the people's choice, it was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon was reelected in 1972 by the largest margin of the popular vote ever recorded before or since. Nixon got 17 million more votes than his opponent. Less than two years later, he was gone. He was forced to resign. And in his place, an obedient servant of the federal agencies called Gerald Ford took over the White House. How did that happen? Well, it's a long story, but here are the highlights, and they tell you a lot. Richard Nixon believed that elements in the federal bureaucracy were working to undermine the American system of government and had been doing that for a long time. He often said that. He was absolutely right. On June 23, 1972, Nixon met with the then CIA director, Richard Helms, at the White House. During the conversation, which thankfully was tape recorded, Nixon suggested he knew, quote, who shot John, meaning President John F. Kennedy. Nixon further implied that the CIA was directly involved in Kennedy's assassination, which we now know it was. Helms' telling response? Total silence. 
But for Nixon, it didn't matter because it was already over. Four days before, on June 19th, the Washington Post had published the first of many stories about a break-in at the Watergate office building. Unbeknownst to Nixon and unreported by the Washington Post, four of the five burglars worked for the CIA. The first of many dishonest Watergate stories was written by a 29-year-old Metro reporter called Bob Woodward. Who exactly was Bob Woodward? Well, he wasn't a journalist. Bob Woodward had no background whatsoever in the news business. Instead, Bob Woodward came directly from the classified areas of the federal government. Shortly before Watergate, Woodward was a naval officer at the Pentagon. He had a top-secret clearance. He worked regularly with the intel agencies. At times, Woodward was even detailed to the Nixon White House, where he interacted with Richard Nixon's top aides. Soon after leaving the Navy, for reasons that have never been clear, Woodward was hired by the most powerful news outlet in Washington and assigned the biggest story in the country. And just to make it crystal clear what was actually happening, Woodward's main source for his Watergate series was the deputy director of the FBI, Mark Felt. And Mark Felt ran, and we're not making this up, the FBI's COINTELPRO program, which was designed to secretly discredit political actors the federal agencies wanted to destroy, people like Richard Nixon. And at the same time, those same agencies were also working to take down Nixon's elected vice president, Spiro Agnew. In the fall of 1973, Agnew was indicted for tax evasion and forced to resign. His replacement was a colorless congressman from Grand Rapids called Gerald Ford. What was Ford's qualification for the job? Well, he had served on the Warren Commission, which absolved the CIA of responsibility for President Kennedy's murder. Nixon was strong-armed into accepting Gerald Ford by Democrats in Congress. Quote, we gave Nixon no choice but Ford, Speaker of the House Carl Albert later boasted. Eight months later, Gerald Ford of the Warren Commission was the president of the United States. See how that works? So those are the facts, not speculation. All of that actually happened. None of it's secret. Most of it actually is on Wikipedia. But no mainstream news organization has ever told that story. It's so obvious, yet it's intentionally ignored. And as a result, permanent Washington remains in charge of our political system. Unelected lifers in the federal agencies make the biggest decisions in American government and crush anyone who tries to rein them in. And in the process, our democracy becomes a joke. Our democracy becomes a version of 1984 Orwellian state is what happens. And then as that gets going and as the people are now separated from the power of government's governance, where government is no longer a subject of the will of the people, then the government then takes over and does what it does best, evil things. The states are taking children, giving them to somebody else for money that they get from the federal government. That means that all 50 states are involved in government-subsidized child trafficking. It's a ring. It is the largest and most pervasive child trafficking ring in the history of the world by sheer money and numbers. Children are seized unnecessarily from their families due to the federal aid entitled the Adoption and Safe Families Act. It was put into law in 1997 by Bill and Hillary Clinton, and I said it that way on purpose. And it is a law that literally steals money from the Social Security Fund and gives this money to the states in order to incentivize them to kidnap babies. To receive the adoption incentives or bonuses, Local CPS must have more children. 
they must have more merchandise to sell. Every child, once you've added it all up, is worth approximately a million dollars to the state. But we've been told that this is a 60 to 80 billion dollar a year industry, meaning the federal government is taking 80 billion dollars a year and giving that money to all of the 50 states to kidnap children. Parents are victimized by the system that makes a profit for holding children longer and bonuses for not returning children to their parents. But their own statistics state that 83% of all children who are taken by CPS, Child Protective Services, are for unsubstantiated allegations, meaning never should it have happened in the first place. So that imagine anything else in the world where you know you get it wrong 83% of the time and you admit it, but you just keep doing it. Case workers and social workers are often guilty of fraud. They withhold and destroy evidence. We have people in the United States of America that breed children in order to sell them. And when they are sold, they come without birth certificates, which means it's easier to kill them and have no one ask where they are. We're also importing children by the plane load. Again, children who have no documentation. It's not just child slavery or child sex abuse. It's also child torture because you have adrenalized blood. You, you have the, the whole blood drinking ceremony of the satanic world. It's also the uh, use of children for harvesting body organs. We'll have the Falun Gong uh, testimony tomorrow. What's amazing is with the knowledge that we have of Falun Gong, how people still don't believe in exactly what's going on. So many disbelieve the idea of child sex trafficking. The government has built an amazing network. This is ultimately the, pan, well, it's actually the penultimate Orwellian model. Every family feels like they are under siege constantly, and they do so because children have become a commodity which are stolen, which are abused, and it has broken the family down. So the number one protection for children as we enter into this new phase now, where the real war with all these things going on with COVID and all the vax delivery has always been the children. That's the primary target. The delivery to the elderly and others are just simply wiping out those that are useless eaters, to use Klaus Schwab's term. But the focus has been the children, because once they can get the children with this shot, whatever's in it, it changes them. Even the principle of having a shot and the being, having the fights that go around the vaxxed and the unvaxxed, the children become immersed in a, in a conflicting environment, constantly under stress. And they are given more time with a teacher and less time than they have with their own parents. The indoctrination camps run by teachers at this point in time are entirely drilled toward making them the surrogate parent. And in so doing, the state becomes the surrogate parent for the child. They don't need to remove the child from the home. The child's doing it mentally at will. And so this is the purposes then of your, your common core and then your race studies and then you get into queer theory. All of these things are systematic. Common Core builds the basis for, for MKUltra. It fractures the mind, critically fractures the mind so that there are, they are susceptible to subaltern programming. Truth becomes a variable in, in the, in the uh, Common Core model, and that is where the mind starts to fall apart. Anything is possible. Then you enter into race studies, and in, in doing this, they are now in, in drilled into them the burden that they have. And in so doing, 
the burden that they have on them creates a desire to not be who they are. And whether that's black, white, Hispanic, they start to seek another altern. That altern then is presented to them using queer theory. And queer theory gives them an option to choose anything they want to be. They cease to become literally human. And they no longer have the protective umbrella of the family, which has been the entire war the entire time. This is Orwellian by the book. And it's where we have arrived. And how many times have I said, if your children are in school, if you have kept them in the public school, you are creating the next generation of totalitarian leaders. Get them out. And that's on the parents to do. And it's the parents' burden to carry, and it's their parents' testimony to face God for not doing your job of protecting kids. This is the world we now live in. These are some of the final words, words of George Orwell himself. Take a listen. 1984 is, I believe, a quite terrifying masterpiece. So terrifying, in fact, I don't think I should like to read another like it. I am not absolutely dissatisfied with it. I think it is a good idea, but the execution would have been better if I had not been under the influence of TB when I wrote it. You once claimed that you have an ability to face unpleasant facts. Is that what you've demonstrated in 1984 by drawing an accurate portrait of the future? I think that allowing for the book being, after all, a parody, something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. In our world, there will be no emotions except fear, rage, triumph and self-abasement. The sex instinct will be eradicated. We shall abolish the orgasm. There will be no loyalty except loyalty to the party. But always there will be the intoxication of power. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is a simple one. Don't let it happen. It depends on you. Simple but absolute truthful words. I believe that was done in 1954, if I'm not mistaken on the date on that recording. That was done by the BBC. And Orwell was on his deathbed, though it does look a little bit staged by today's standards. Probably was since the BBC is run by MI5 and MI6. But don't let it happen. Critical words that have to be spoken then should were spoken then and have to be believed now. And so these types of laydowns, we map out and build the architecture in view of what we're actually seeing now. This is what we would call an intelligence map. An intelligence, a cultural intelligence map, where so you can obviously see in dimension what's going on, the influencers that are at play, and what's at stake. The answer is always very simple. It falls on us. And it falls on us to do our job. And it means you have to be engaged in the, in the public. You have to be engaged in your communities. You have to be engaged. And it's never going to be a big win. It's going to be little wins, little victories. And you have to be willing to take a big risk. 
This story here that we will close with is a profound story. It's short, but it's important to listen to. This is what I call patriots. Take a listen. Thank you, Kayla. And a Utah doctor and his company are facing serious federal charges accused of running a fake vaccine ring. Court documents state Salt Lake County plastic surgeon Dr. Michael Moore and his co-defendants destroyed nearly $30,000 worth of government-issued vaccines. Health and Human Service investigation found that they would fill out fake vaccine cards in exchange for a cash donation. They're also accused of giving kids fake COVID shots filled with saline at the request of their parents. Dr. Moore and his co-defendants face several federal charges, including conspiracy to defraud the United States. Conspiracy to protect children, apparently, because that's exactly what he was doing. They were giving children saline shots at the request of the children's parents so that they could have a COVID pass and get them into school. I don't agree with that, all that lay down, but I'll tell you what, I absolutely agree with the defiance part. This doctor knew he was taking a big risk, and he did it anyway. He did the right thing. So, Patriots, this is a really important time, and it's an important time to be focused on just the magnitude of what's going on. This isn't a time to get lazy. It's not a time to get relaxed. And it's important to remember, as I play this piece here, as I talk a bit with Weird Al Yankovic, aluminum foil, that we've been, they've been trying to tell us, many people have been trying to tell us the truth for a long time. I never seem to finish all my food. Oh yeah, this is old Al. I always get a doggy bag. From the waiter. Oh, yes, he does. So I just keep what's still unchewed. And I take it home. As crazy as this guy was. Save it for later. But then I deal with fungal right back. He absolutely understood what was going on. And as he, and as he used a comedic care. way of telling, I've got a this makes more sense today than it did then. Keep all my flavors sealed in tight with aluminum foil. Aluminum foil. All you crazy tin hatters out there like me. That kind of wrap is just the best to keep your sandwich nice and fresh. Oh, yeah. I actually saw a woman's trailer totally wrapped in aluminum foil in Thomaston, Georgia. I think she was on to something. And here comes the truth right here. Now, yes, he did. Just that crazy conspiracy. Because I made this hat from aluminum foil. All the time. It's right been in our face. And there's been many people trying to tell us this truth. The question is, who was going to believe it? In the 60s, we had the John Birch Society. We had Cooper. We had others speaking truth. 
Most of these people ended up being dead one way or the other. And this is the cost you have to understand that in order to speak truth, you have to be willing to go all out. That's the walk, ultimately, if we marry that with our faith in Christ, that's the walk you have to take. Because our country has been hijacked. And there's a large percentage of people that are very comfortable with the idea that it is hijacked. They're comfortable. It's up to us now to make the decision. Do we want to force that truth into the, into the light as we continue to, but it gets more difficult? Or do you want to shadow away and tuck yourself in a bunker, eat your tuna, and wait for the storm to blow over? Problem is, it probably won't. 1984 is a book, is a dark text, dark and dystopian in so many ways. But it's a reminder of what happens when good men do nothing. That's all it takes. It's time for the great men and women of this nation to do something big. It begins with local action. It begins with being public. It begins with never, ever letting an untruth go unchecked and never letting these pedophiles and these freaks have the say of the day. Let's pray. Father, we're always blessed in this time that we have to come together and blessed again for another week that we have gone through this time to grow, to become matured, refined more in, in your love. And in this evening, Father, as we pray, we're just reflecting very deeply on this nation as it is and the world as it is, a dystopian world that has been engineered to give a small elite group of people control over so many's minds. And sadly, that control has been given to them willfully. We pray for the awakening of the minds. We pray for the awakening of the hearts. We pray for the shaking of things to such a degree that there cannot be an acceptance or even a, a real an, an, an agreement anymore with the sort of draconian and dark laws and rules and lies that they put upon people's hearts to obey. As we see and witness the continued flow of truth, we just pray that that will continue to come greater and greater into the into the public space to where it cannot be avoided in, in, by anyone. And we pray as well for that power that we each have to walk with a, within the body of Christ to walk with the boldness and power of kingdom authority, not so much by words, but as much by action and our presence of the love of Christ coming through us, that that itself begins to draw people's eyes up to then look and return to you. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. An important time to be focused in faith, walking powerfully with Jesus, not being affected by the the negativity of, of, and the dark, heavy tones of this, but instead taking these sorts of stories and realizations into action. Action has to be a, a sense of positivity in the world and knowing that you can control something. When the, you will achieve negativity and failure when you believe that you have no control. That's a lie. We have tremendous control over this. This is a war on our spirit, on our body, and our mind. So don't let them control any of it. Stand boldly, take the facts, take the truth, look at what you have before you and make a difference in each day as you walk and you breathe with Father God. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil, never relent, always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy.
mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless. And out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships, as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. We push, we climb, 
We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words, in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath.